evening. If you have your Bible with you, I'll ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. This is where we left off on our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, our verses tonight are going to be verse uh, 13 to the end of the chapter. Uh, It didn't dawn on me until about an hour ago. Uh, This is going to be my last opportunity to talk to you before uh, Tuesday. Uh, I know there is a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety as to what's going to happen on Tuesday. Now, uh, because I only realized it an hour ago, um, uh, this lesson tonight is not shaped around that reality, but uh, by God's grace, actually, there are a few lessons in this text that we can apply uh, as good reminders for the next few days. All right, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time that we can have to be together, and I do pray that you would help uh, this time together, this message uh, in your word uh, to encourage us, help us, Father, to draw closer to you, to be more confident in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read the text. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The they here is going to be the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the time. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them, It's manifest to all of them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it is spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. They speak henceforth no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to be hearkened unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders and said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and thy signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed it was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them, and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, 
which being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, just for review, uh, so Peter and John on their way to the normal activity of going to the temple, they come across this lame man who, again, Luke tells us, has been going to this particular spot for some time. Uh, Peter and John say, I don't have any silver and gold, and what happens? All right, the lame man is healed. Well, the lame man, as we saw, causes a great deal of noise, and uh, that draws a crowd. And Peter takes the opportunity to preach to this crowd the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how you are saved. By the name of Jesus, this man is healed. While the crowd, causing all sorts of noise, draws the attention of the religious authorities. And they take their temple soldiers, the temple police, they gather Peter and John, and they take them to this council meeting, and that's where we picked up. And so I want to give you just three points to consider tonight. Number one, rejection of Jesus is not reasonable. Rejection of Jesus is not reasonable. If you look at verses 13 through 16, Luke lays out all the evidence that, is, that we have here. First of all, they admit that these two men, Peter and John, were unlearned but had been with Jesus. So there's a, an association with Jesus personally. Now, it was also clear that a miracle had, been, had taken place, which they could not deny. In fact, they say that amongst themselves. And then there had been multiple witnesses to the matter. And so this was not something done in secret. There was no conspiracy. And so logic would dictate, if you have all this evidence in front of you, that what happened was genuine that Jesus did, in fact, heal this man, which would mean that Jesus was, in fact, alive. It would verify the claim made back in verse 12 that salvation can be found in no other name. So we have all this logic. We have all of this reasonability. And how do they respond? With tyranny. They sought to hide the information because it could not be refuted. They threatened them with all the power they had in order to get them to shut up. Now Romans tells us that this is a kind of judgment to make people drunk with madness, which is what is happening here. And we see the list of sins in Romans 1, and that's, that's God giving people up to the madness. Also think of the moment when, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and the religious leaders asked him to tell the people to be quiet. They were being too loud with their praise. And Jesus says, if they don't speak, what would happen? Remember what would happen? What did Jesus say? If they didn't speak, what would happen? The rocks would cry out. It's a, it's a good reminder that even if, if, if the threatening in this moment had in fact worked, meaning Peter and John did in fact shut up, God's arms were not suddenly broken. You have heard me make the argument before that nobody is argued into the kingdom. The rejection of Jesus is not a reasonable thing. In all my years, I can tell you that it has been a sin, some sort of sin habit, sin problem, sin addiction, that has been the real reason why somebody has walked away from their faith. 
It's usually, I should say, I've never encountered a situation where it was something that was reasonable. Meaning, they didn't reason their way out of their faith. They didn't legit logically argue themselves out of the faith. Because I would submit you can't do that. It's always been a sin issue. And I would suggest to you that in all my years of talking to somebody who isn't a Christian, it is always a belief system that allows them to have an excuse not to believe the Bible. And so it has never really been about logic. It's never really about reason. And you see, with that, we need a reminder that whatever the result is on Tuesday, it is not going to change this condition. You and I will encounter people who, who are, uh, are living for themselves. And no matter the result of the, the, the election on Tuesday, it is not going to undo the reality that our neighbors, our friends, and our co-workers that we want to see become Christians will not become Christians without the supernatural movement of God. So one of the things we go into Tuesday is remind ourselves, no matter the result of the election, the conditions on the ground in front of us will not change. Number two, the second thing we can find in our passage is this, that earthly authorities are limited. Earthly authorities are limited. Peter's answer is one that recognizes that this religious group had gone outside the bounds of their authority. Now last time, if you remember all the way back then, last time we were together, I made the argument that these religious leaders did have a God-given authority, a responsibility to lead these people, a responsibility to protect these people. But here they're commanding what? that Peter and John would stop preaching the truth. And to command that was outside of their authority. That's what Peter is challenging. It was outside of the authority given to them by God. That's why Peter asked the question, is it better to listen to you or to God? And then you go to the prayer of the church, and the prayer of the church as they quote Psalm 2. is a psalm that recognizes that men have always tried to step out of the bounds of their authority. This is why they persecute. They are in love with tyranny. The Bible teaches us that God in his wisdom gives authority to various people. All right, for example, the Bible tells us that he has given authority He gave men, generally the human species, he gave us authority over the earth. So we have the right to go out into a field and to plow it and to plant alfalfa over here or grow corn over there or use it to graze cows in this area. We have a right to do that because we have authority over the earth. A parent has, God has given parents authority over what? Children, does that authority have limitations? Yes. The Bible gives husbands a type of authority over their wives. Pastors have a type of authority over the church. In fact, the Bible talks about that God even gives authority for governing kings and princes. 
All of those things are authority that is borrowed from God. Now the Bible also tells us that anybody given these authority should be honored. What's one of the commandments? Honor your mom and dad. They have a position of authority. The Bible tells us to honor those elders that preach the word. Even the Bible tells us to give honor to those who rule over us. All right, and so God gives out this authority, but we understand that each and every one of those authorities have what? Limitations. All right, each authority has limitations. So am I, so uh, uh, human beings have authority over the earth. Where's the limitation there? Do I have authority over your land? Do I, Pastor Tim, have authority over your land? No. Do I have authority over your children? No. Do you have authority over my wife? No. Do you have the same authority in the church as the pastor? No. I'm not a governor. I'm also not somebody else's father, somebody else's husband. There are lines, there are limitations to each one of these things. And this is, this is the argument the founders used as they developed the Constitution. A recognition that rights and authority are something that is given by God because God has the final authority. And we see a pattern in the scriptures that authority that is given out by God is always boxed in. It's always limited. And what we have in this text is a group of men who have stepped outside the bounds of the limitation of authority. And it gives us the application as Christians that we have no reason, we have no responsibility to recognize authority when it oversteps God's created limits. So one of the things we should note here, I have friends who, uh, who are from other countries. And, and all of them, have, all the one of my friends that I have another from other countries have asked me the same question about the pandemic. What is it about American Christians that seem to be ready to buck the government? And I have to explain to them that it's in our national DNA to question the bounds of authority. Our founders put that right there. This is why we have divided government, isn't it? Because we understand that there is limitation to authority. And it is why, for example, I say to them, it is reasonable for a Christian to question the action of any government, whether it's local or state or national. It is reasonable for us to question, it's reasonable for us to uh, be doubtful of any government that does not recognize its own limitations. If we have a government in any form that will not or is not willing to question its own authority, we as Christians have a right to sit back in, in question whether or not they have the right to rule. But the biggest lesson is that our first job will always be to find any way we can to fulfill our calling to love Jesus and preach the gospel. Now, like we saw at the, this pandemic, we tried to be reasonable people. We did the drive-in services. 
But at some point, we knew that we were going to have to do what we need to do to love Jesus and to preach the gospel. And that by God's grace, that's what we'll continue to do no matter what authority comes into power on Tuesday. Again, it might be a reasonable time for us to be creative. There might be things that we should try and do that might be a little different. But the fact is, whatever the result is on Tuesday... Our obligation to love Jesus and preach the gospel doesn't change. And no government, no condition, no issue happening or takes away that obligation. All right, number three. I want you to look at verses 32 to 37. Here Luke gives us, or number three, sorry, God will always win. Number three, God will always win. In verse 32 to 37, Luke gives us a summary statement. The last time he gave us one was back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Peter preaches the gospel. Lots and lots and lots of people become Christians. The church grows exponentially. And Luke gives us this summary statement of how the church is unified and faithful. Now... And now, 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 again, that was after something amazing, amazing happening. And here we get the same message. So we have this confrontation with authority. And the response we see is the church is unified and faithful. But then Luke goes a little bit further. He starts telling us specifically about the sharing of wealth. So people, had, people who had extra stuff. We're selling that stuff, so we're talking about houses and lands. And that money was given to the disciples, and that resulted in that money landing in the hands of people who had need. In fact, this particular ministry is going to grow so big that what's going to happen? Pastor Tim, bonus points. Anybody know what happens? A whole new section of leadership is brought forth called... Deacons. All right. And so Luke is kind of giving us a heads up about where this is going. Now, what's interesting here is especially Luke gives us a general conclusion and then kind of narrows down to tell us about this man by the name of Barnabas, the man of encouragement. Now, why would Luke go from a situation where the church is confronted with real authoritarian tyrannical power and end by talking about the son of encouragement. We have a man who is from Cyprus who sells a piece of land, gives it to the disciples. Why is he singled out? Because he represents what? All this power, all this tyrannical authority was Use. What did they tell Peter and John to do? In so many words. Shut up. Stop. Basically threatening them with all the power, all the authority they had, saying, we're going to basically, we're going to come after you if you keep doing this. And at the end of the account, where is the church? Running scared? No. She's wealthier than when she began. 
The church, the church ends up richer at the, end of the episode, at the end of this episode. Now, sometimes I think we need a reminder that this does not happen. If you look at history, if you look at sports stats, if you want to go that way, the underdog doesn't normally win. Now, the reason we hear about underdog stories, why? Why do we hear about it? Because it's interesting, right? It's history because it doesn't happen. What happened at the Alamo? We lost. The underdog got not only got beat, they all died. The underdog didn't win. How about Operation Desert, uh, Desert Storm? Anybody remember that far back? What happened when the American soldiers showed up on Kuwaiti soil? When we confronted Saddam Hussein's troops? They just put their hands in the air. There's a, a, an incredible picture uh, of this, just this stream of American Abrams tanks just rolling through the desert. And not, they, they would encounter the, the, uh, the uh, Iraq army, and then there, a shot wouldn't be fired. You know what these guys would do? They'd just climb out of their tanks and run. They, they were no match. All right? The underdog doesn't typically win. And so what, Luke is, what Luke's writing for us here, if we would read it with fresh eyes, is a passage that tells us the church is in a position at the end of this episode it has no business being in. The, le- the religious leaders had the power to put people in jail. These religious leaders had the power to send people to the social margins. Christianity was a small, a, 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 a religion that was considered blasphemous to the majority of people. <coughs> It had no friends in power. These were common fishermen. Yet at the end of the section, the church has more converts and more money. Now, no Christian wants to try and be a Christian in a hostile society. But if you go through the church's history time and time again, the church finds itself in better position than it has any business being in. What business, for example, does this church have in the midst of a pandemic with an economic downturn sitting on more than $50,000? What business does this church have with that kind of money? So let me just kind of put these three things together for you. Number one, the rejection of Jesus has never been about logic or reason. No matter who wins on Tuesday, it will not change the evangelistic difficulty of needing the Holy Spirit to work in a person's life to be saved. Number two, earthly authorities are limited in power. With, with the results on Tuesday, might change some, some things that we do. It might not, but it's actually not going to stop us from doing it. We will gather, we'll study God's word, we'll tell others about Jesus. That's not going to stop on Tuesday. And then number three, God always wins. Sometimes we need that reminder that God is doing 10,000 things at one time, and you're, we're usually aware of three. I was sharing this with somebody yesterday. You know what we don't hear about on the national news? We don't hear about the 
the awakening that seems to be happening in the, the African-American communities, like places like Philadelphia and Atlanta, are seeing many African-Americans suddenly finding themselves in gospel-preaching churches and beginning to reject the prosperity theology. What you don't hear on the national news is how in Arizona, particularly in Phoenix, the churches, the gospel-preaching churches, are filled with Hispanic-speaking, Hispanic people who speak Spanish, who sing in Spanish and love the gospel. While it's still rather small, what you don't hear about is that the evangelical presence in Hollywood is growing, not shrinking. An era where actors in studios used to pretend they loved or embraced Christian values or that they were Christian people, that era is being replaced with people who really do love Jesus and know the gospel. It's just not in the news. Why? Because the father of lies is also the prince of panic. We live in a culture that lives on panic porn. An apocalyptic clickbait. Fear. Now what we do in this life does matter. And of course we should go out on Tuesday seeking the good of our communities and our nation. But if Christ is truly our great treasure, and his glory truly our great desire, we really have no reason to worry about Tuesday. All right, that's the end of the message. Let me give you your prayer list, and uh, we 